Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the seventh episode of the Counterpunch Podcast, a weekly Cracked Rackets production. Alongside my co-host, Archit Suresh, I'm Richard Mai, and we're here to break down, analyze, and yes, sometimes argue about the biggest college and pro tennis headlines. Archit, how you doing, my friend? It's been a little bit. It has. It's been a while. Lots of really good tennis, high-quality tennis that we've missed out on, whether that's college, whether that's pro. We've been here to cover it all, and now we're Super excited to actually get be able to share it with all of our listeners, so let's get right into it. I guess thanks to NCAAs, my uh, intro isn't completely accurate. We've missed a bit more than one week, but a lot <laughs> has happened in that lick of time. We have team champions, we have individual champions, so we'll get right into it, starting with our team champions. On the men's side for D1, UVA. On the women's side, UNC. I mean... Both ACC teams, I think we were, just, we were just talking about it right before we started. I mean, the surprise that they both come from one conference. We know how good the ACC is, but for both uh, teams uh, that won it all to come from the same conference, a bit surprising. With UNC, we've talked a lot about them finally catching the, catching the quote-unquote white whale. And with UVA, back-to-back, uh, not done too often, so... Thoughts on your end, Archer, because you were there for it all. Yeah, thankfully got to be there for start to finish from the very first ball of team championships all the way to the last day. So it was, I mean, a phenomenal experience. It was so amazing getting to meet with all the players, coaches, officials, all the amazing people that I got to interact with and in what was basically just a celebration of college tennis for an entire week. I know you mentioned that we were surprised that two ACC teams won, but let's let's have it made clear. Neither of us are actually surprised that either of these two teams were the ones that won. I mean, UVA, fantastic. They were the defending champions for a reason. They found a way to do it again. Peaked in May, two years in a row. Just And their core guys are going to stay on for the most part. They just continue to become... They just have become a powerhouse throughout college tennis, and they're going to continue to do so. And as for UNC... I mean, phenomenal job. They finally did it. Finally got the one they were looking for. Alec Druskin and I were really lucky to be able to interact with a lot of the players, coaches, and parents, and just everybody on the UNC squad at dinner after the match. And it was just, they were just so happy. And you could just see the smile on their face. And it, it was just pure, like, euphoria just being sent out everywhere. And it was just, we. it was just contagious. I, I can't. Yeah, I mean, Can't these are two teams, we know how good they are. UNC has had an amazing regular season into the postseason, and UVA always such a powerhouse program. But to the singles, uh, to the individual winners, uh, Ethan Quinn on the men's side, um, I know you know a lot about him. And then Van Grantien for the women, uh, your thoughts on these two champions? Yeah, I mean, first of all, Van Grantien, the first Chinese winner ever, First Bruin winner since 1995. I mean, what a fantastic run from her. Completely unforeseen. She, the fact that we got two unseeded players making the finals of the tournament and putting on a, a clinical match. I watched every single match that she played throughout. Just flowers to her for what she was able to accomplish over the stretch. It was just so incredible to see the level of tennis that she displayed over a consistent period of time where she beat players that she had lost to earlier in the regular season, but still just continued to battle through and just, I mean, was phenomenal all year. Both freshmen, in fact, winning the individual titles for the men and the women. Ethan Quinn on the other side, redshirt freshman, but we're going to count it still. Uh, What a phenomenal final. I think especially the back half of, or the front half of the third set, it was absolutely amazing the level was really really high between ethan and andre styler who 
I think both of them just have the potential to be very good pro players. I know Andre isn't planning on playing professionally, which is a shame for us, but very happy for him considering he has plenty of outside interest that he's going to lean on. So yeah, that'll be intriguing. I'm first of all, I I do want to point out the fact that Ethan did save four match points in that second set in what was just a topsy turvy match from start to finish, just complete drama. And it was, it was so fascinating to watch for Ethan. I actually am excited to see, I don't want to count my chickens before they've hatched, but it is custom that if the NCAA individuals men's champion does win the it does win the event. They do customarily receive a wild card for the main draw of the U.S. Open. So I would be interested to see how Ethan fares there. I'm sure we're going to see him pop up at plenty of summer tournaments. I'm I'm interested to see if he shows up in Georgia next fall if he you know goes on a run of success. But that's all speculative. That's all speculative for the future. Let's just enjoy the moment now and just congratulations to both Ethan and Fawn Run. Just absolutely incredible accomplishments for the both of them and them and their teammates and their school should be incredibly proud of what they did. But you mentioned that US Open wildcard and you look at the history of NCAA um, winners and you look at, let's take one year back and you look at last year's winner and you have a pretty, I mean, now familiar face to all of us and Ben Shelton. um, And you look at what he's done and now you take even a year further back to Sam Refis and a collection, three American guys in a row winning the NCAA men's singles title, which is, I mean, a great thing for American tennis. You look at college tennis and there's so many um, amazing international players that have come through. Um, namely, you look at it's, uh, like the top 20 right now. You have Cam Norrie, uh, TCU grad. So Kevin Anderson, even in 2017, was... yeah. And a lot of, I mean, top 100 players from both the singles and doubles circuits um, coming through the college scene. It's really great to see continual Americans. And um, I hope that transition continues. It'll be nice to see what Ethan can do, um, especially being on home soil. Well, I do actually want to point out one thing that was really interesting to me when I saw this uh, a while back. But Ethan and Ben have actually had really similar progressions to the top of the game. First of all, both of them ended up... So the summer before, um, Ben finals at the Kalamazoo 18s event, a very prestigious juniors event, as we all know, and qualifies and earns a qualifying wildcard for the U.S. Open. The next year, Ethan does the exact same thing. And Ben, former All-Americans winner. Ethan, former All-Americans winner. Ben, former NCAA Individuals Champion. Ethan, former NCAA, well, current NCAA Individuals Champion. So really, and they've had very similar runs at Challenger events too, so it'll be interesting to see. They also both won their singles titles, if I'm not mistaken, pretty early, fairly early on into into their uh, college careers. Well, yeah, Ben won his his second year and then Ethan won his his first. So, well, technically second, but yeah. If you if, for for the parallels, we'll keep it the same. I, f- I feel bad for Ethan because now everybody's going to start expecting him to make the like Australian Open quarterfinals yeah. next year. But it is what it is. Sorry, buddy. I mean, you never know what's going to happen. We can't, you know, completely throw it out. Listen, um, we can't rule it out. He's a phenomenal player. I it's it's possible, but I, I mean, I wouldn't bet on it. But I don't know. If you listen to this, I doubt he will. But if he does <laughs> listen to this, just. Bulletin board material. There you go. You're not making the quarterfinals of the Australian Open, and I expect a player invite to your box if you do. So, <laughs> but with that said, nice segue right into the Pro Tour. Um, we do have to review Rome before we move to the French Open. Um, a lot happened on both the men's and women's side. We'll start with the men. Um, Daniel Medvedev. Apparently now Klaivedev, I guess. Um, <laughs> doesn't doesn't really have the same ring to it, it when doesn't. he's doing well. Like it's for, it's a lot more fun starters, when he's just not doing well on clay. Just right? on a fun note, I would love to hear your thoughts on the dance off. <laughs> <laughs> um, for those uh, who don't know, um, 
Mayhem, man, does Medvedev and Sitsipas have one heck of a rivalry. rivalry? Yeah, they, they bring it every it's time. Gonna be I so love to see it. It's, it's so gonna be so much, much fun, fun to watch. watch as it continues and grows. But for those who don't know, um, I, believe I don't it was, know how much more what, it can last grow year? from here. Last year, um, Sitsipas beat Medvedev um, on a hard court. And Is that Cincinnati? Or Cincinnati I believe so. Or I think it was Cincinnati. And then he danced afterward. Well, it was in the U.S. Open, the North American swing. Um, he, he did a little dance afterwards. And then when Medvedev beat Tsitsipas at Rome in the semifinals, he also did his own version of said dance. Um, I just think this is a very fun rivalry. That's going to be so much fun to keep tabs on. And, you know, these two guys are going to give it their all when they see the, uh, you know, the other across the net and, they just they gave us so much entertainment for every matchup, and they gave us a good match in that semifinal. Such yeah. a high level, um, seven five always. seven five. Actually, Medvedev ended up beating Sitsipas and Runa seven five seven five in back to back matches. So, hell of an accomplishment for him. He's playing really, really well. Who'd have thought that if I told you two years ago that Daniil Medvedev would be a Masters one thousand champion on clay? I mean, unreal. Another phenomenal match was the other semifinal between Holger Runa and Kasper Ruud. Another two guys that have a little bit of history. But honestly, it was it was so good from both sides. I watched the whole thing through and through. It was so good from both sides. And honestly, I was kind of expecting Rune to take that final. But Medvedev really impressed me this week with the way that he was yeah. uh, able to adapt uh, to the clay. I mean, it's something that he's constantly working on. Yeah. Um, I do think over, I think overall, obviously people still project more success from Runa on clay than they do for Medvedev, which is completely fair. He has more options. He's much younger. Medvedev's than, game also just generally fits the clay, the, the hard court much better. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like there's, um, there's certain players were just, Hardcore is their sweet spot where like for example like a Novak where like I feel like hardcore is his sweet spot whereas like with Roger his sweet spot was on the grass you know Ralph was on the clay and you usually tend to see people either go to the grass or to the clay and then there's that like kind of like select group of people that excel on the hardcore because the hardcore is kind of like the middle one in terms of bounce and um, the speed of the ball when it comes in yeah well Medvedev I think just enjoys the benefits of the hard court more than more most people on yeah. tour the fact that he can get a lot out of his serve still which he doesn't get on clay he doesn't have the movement struggles that he has on clay where he can slide in and out i, I find it so weird that medvedev finds it easier to slide in and out of shots on the hard court over the clay court but it's that kind of stuff. It's the movement. It's his ability to penetrate through the court with for his forehand guy and of his, his strokes. The, for a guy of his build, you know, he moves very well. For someone that's taller in the most respectful way possible, lankier, um, he just moves really well. Like, you look at his movement compared to, say, a John Isner or Kevin Anderson. You think of, like, those really tall big guys um, with a real slender build. And Medvedev moves very well. Well, um, well, yeah. Well, that's the current modern. Well, that's the modern archetype of the ATP. Uh, maybe it's kind of shifted down now from the Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Zverev generation. But that entire group, it's slightly bigger guys. Six four at the minimum. Six four to six seven is kind of the range where they're moving like they're six three and but serving like they're six five. So I like to call them the serving counterpunchers, but. It's it's interesting to see that kind of dynamic and how they continue to fare up against the big three slash four who are, you know, six one to six three. And then Alcaraz, Sinner, Runa are a little shorter. They're six foot, six two, six one around that area. So that contrast of styles is something that's super important to the game. It's super important for fans to just be able to see aesthetically. Yeah, it's a it's a fun matchup regardless of who you're rooting for, for, for either player. So now another thing that we have to point out for sure is shouting out the amazing quarterfinalists and their runs that they had in Rome. Yannick Hoffman, one of them had a great run losing to Medvedev, um, took out 
a fair amount of good players, from Taylor Fritz to Marco Kekinato and then Andrei Rublev. Um, an amazing run for him, Francisco Sarundolo, climbing those rankings, um, you know, bit by bit. Novak Djokovic falls to Holger Runa. We'll talk about that in a second. But Borna Cioric, I feel like he deserves a lot of praise just because he he makes the quarterfinals at Rome, following up a semifinal performance in Madrid. For me, he becomes one of my dark horses when it comes to who am I looking out for to make a deep run. Maybe not even, you know, not to put the world of pressure of, oh, win the whole thing, but a deep run uh, when it comes to the French Open. And Borna Chorich is up there for me. He's got a tough draw. He is in the Medvedev quarter. So take it as you will, but he's had a phenomenal three weeks. And then, yeah. yeah. I Hanfen, Hanfen can just, he can, he can flat out ball on the clay. Like, the guy just is so good and so reliable at on this stage on the clay. I mean, he's just really, really talented. And, like, he's had big wins throughout the season. Didn't he beat Tommy Paul in Houston? And then he he's consistently, like, been very, very good on the clay. And so it'll be interesting to see how he does at Archie. But let me ask you now, in terms of you look at the one and two seed from Rome, we were so excited in our preview, you know, at the potential of a Novak Alcaraz final, and neither one even made the final. <laughs> so let me ask, obviously, Novak losing to a little bit of a more well-known player in Holger Runa uh, in the quarterfinals, um, but Alcaraz falls in the third round to a qualifier, Fabian Maroshan, someone who the press had to ask him to introduce himself at the beginning of his press conference. So let me ask you, do these losses, how much um, do you take these into account when you think about what do I expect of them heading into slam number two of the year? Yeah. You certainly have to take them into account. Like, it's not like you can just completely ignore them and say, okay, whatever I had previously thought of this player is what I'm going to be predicting them to do at the French Open. It's not that. But I also don't put too much stock into certain results. Like, I don't I don't think Alcaraz is going to have a similar result like that at the French Open. He's probably the one player in this draw that I have the least amount of concerns for. I think physically he's fine. He's had a lot of rest from Rome, but he's also gotten a lot of matches in this clay season. So I'm not worried about him. And he's clearly shown the level. Like he's won, what did he, he's won Barcelona and Madrid. Did he win any other clay titles? No, right? Yeah, but he, uh, no, uh, but he went pretty deep in other tournaments. I think Monte Carlo, he made a yeah, deep exactly. Run. Exactly. So I, I, I didn't he lose in the semi, or he lost to. Sorry, we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, but no, your your point still stands. He had yeah some great results uh, on clay throughout this season. Yeah, um, not not and he's entirely always such a solid player on on the clay. So yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a big worrier about Alcaraz's chances. Djokovic again, like. If you just take this loss in isolation, there's nothing really to scoff at behind losing to Holger Runa in best of three sets at a Masters 1000 on clay. Like, that's not a bad loss. I am a little hesitant about Novak, though, because of the fact that he just hasn't gotten a consistent and proper lead up heading into the clay season. And I know he really likes to ramp things up at Rome RG type. So... I don't know. It's very interesting. The elbow is still a lingering concern for him. I don't think he... I, judging from what I saw, he still doesn't look particularly comfortable. But I'm also just not fully convinced in picking against Djokovic in a best-of-five scenario at the French Open, especially with no Nadal in the draw. So I, I'm going to lean that Djokovic is fine. I don't feel as confident in him as I normally do heading into this time of year, but I, I feel fine. And Alcaraz, I feel good about, so I'm not really concerned. Yeah. Well, we'll move on to the women very briefly before we you know, keep this train rolling. I'm going to start us off with 
a bit of, I don't know if this is a controversial opinion that I hold, but honestly, this Rybakina win does not impress me as much as winning a Masters 1000 really should, especially the one right before the French. Um, they, I do not mean in any way, shape, or form to discredit her win because she played phenomenally all week and she proved to all the doubters that she can play on clay. With that said, she played six matches and won three of them via retirement. Um, she won in the first round against Jasmine Paulini, um, I believe in straight sets, second round, uh, retirement, um, sorry, th- sorry, third round retirement, fourth round beat Von Drusova in straight sets, quarterfinal, Sviantek retired, semifinal, she beat Ostapenko in straights, and then in the final, Kalinina retired. I don't know, man, I feel like I've, I've heard so many pundits over the last, you know, week say that this is a huge thing to take in you know to take in you know to keep in mind when it goes when it comes to uh when it comes to Rybakina going far and you know this kind of dragon slayer type of mantra of like wow she beat Ega on clay it was 7-6 two all in the second and third and Ega has still had an injured leg are we seriously saying that this is something to take in account i mean look at the first set 6-2 Sviantek. And honestly, people have been saying that Iga faked it and, and that was a chicken move. You have, you've won two of the last three French Opens and that is coming up in one week. Are you really going to jeopardize that opportunity by pushing your leg to the limit if it feels, if, if you feel like there's a kink in your leg? Because I mean... Honestly, it makes a lot of sense, in my opinion, to put your focus on that slam, especially when you've won two out of the last three. Yeah. Given the year she's had, to me, it makes 100% sense why she would feel the need to just protect the injury and just maximize the amount of time she gets to rest and heal so that she can peak for the French Open and just start feeling her best throughout the week of the slam or two weeks. But I don't know. There's... I may be a little bit higher on Rabakina's run than you are, but not Rabakina is a not player. A I'm like Rabakina, the player and the player at Roland Garros. I'm high on Rabakina's yeah. run. Yeah, not as not as much. I mean, it's still yeah. it's still a huge win for her. I mean, obviously, yeah. so many people doubted her abilities on clay, and this proves that she can play on clay. And she played and this is and this is nothing against week. her. It it's isn't. just like you can only beat the players who are in front of you or not in front of you. In that case, exactly. But and it's and it's not to say that she's any less of a player. I mean, circumstance happens. She's not forcing these people to retire. But yeah. also, you know. You know, situations happen, and do do I think that this tournament result is a hundred and fifty percent indicative of how she's going to be feeling into Roland Garros? Maybe not. Do I feel like it's a good step for her on clay? Do I feel like she's in a positive direction right now and she's playing really well on the surface, and she could still end up having a really good result? Yeah. Absolutely. The big thing that this is going to do for how I view her looking at uh, the French is this is going to be such a huge confidence booster. Yeah. Like she's going to be mean, playing with the confidence of a Masters 1000 champion. When the play season started, she was losing in the first and second round. Now in the tournament that arguably matters the most ahead of the French, the one right, the Masters 1000 right before, similar climate, similar all, she wins. If nothing else, that is going to be a big confidence booster heading into the French. With that said, for sure, yeah. it is time for our final clay power rankings ahead of the French Open. Um, do you have your rankings? Because I have mine. Uh, yeah, let's, I'm ready. I'm ready it. with mine. Do you want to do the men or the women first? Ladies first. Okay. Uh, at number one, uh. Queen stays queen, Iga Sviantek. Yeah, I'm not taking her off until she loses at the French. So God no, yeah. Uh second, uh I have maintained Arena Sabalenka. Arena Sabalenka, yep. Yeah. 
This is where things get interesting. Because these next three have all yeah, changed. Um, yeah. At number three, I've put Veronica Kudamatova. On Shaber. And the reason why I personally put Kudamatova is because I value highly consistent results. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, yeah. it's what? A quarterfinal and a semifinal or two semifinals from Madrid to Rome. Um, She's played well. Yeah. It shows such a high level of consistency that just I couldn't, you know, omit. But Jabir's For sure. Great. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Jabir's a good shout, and I'm excited to see what she can do when she gets back out onto the red clay in Paris. Yeah. At number four, I have Elena Rybakina. Kudermatova. And at number five, I have... Rybakina. Kalinina. Yeah, fair. Kalinina, again, um, good results all around. Um, curious to see what happens um, uh, post that retirement. I did put in my honorable mentions Bedosa Sakari and in, yeah. and my personal uh, dark horse for the women's draw, Kinwen Zhang. Yeah. Zhang Shenwen is just so, who is so good. consistently put up results that prove that she is always worthy in that conversation yeah. of Listen, deep run. She was the only player who took a set off of Ego last year at the French Open. You, yeah. You can't tell me that that's not a player who knows their way around that is, the surface. I, I'd so. also like to say, um, in her two championship runs, that is the only set she has dropped. Exactly. Right? So, so, so clearly of, she's yeah. doing something right. <laughs> Honestly. But to the men, I'm really quick. I'm I do also, I do also yeah. want to throw in that I would have had Badosa on my list. She's just unfortunately just gotten unhealthy again at the wrong yeah. time just when things started to look like they were going on the up for her really really unfortunate to see the spine injury that she announced but you know hopefully she can recover somewhat soon and get back to the level that she was starting to find then on to the men i i would love to hear who you have at number one because this was very tough for me to uh, mine, mine is. I, f I feel pretty straightforward about the top of my list, actually. Really? Or the very top. Like, for one. me, it's really <laughs> tough between those top two. It's not really that tough for me. Go for it. Alcaraz at one. It's a fair point. It's a very fair point. But I had. I have to do it. I put Novak at one. <laughs> Well, here's my thing. Sure, entire career body of work, Novak, 100%. My thing is, what has he shown this clay season? He hasn't reached a semifinal in any of the tournaments he's reached. The best That's result fair. is the Rome quarterfinal. So I cannot, in good faith, put him at one in a power rankings. If That's it fair. was favorites for Roland Garros, yeah, you could certainly make an argument for him being at one. Yeah, But I I'm even struggling to even keep Novak at two considering the fact that other guys have success like have success honestly for me Novak and Alcaraz have been interchangeable when I was making this list like for sure yeah because I'm also thinking because for yeah. me when I I completely agree with you if you're talking about power rankings it is Alcaraz at one but when I'm doing this I'm keeping it for me personally I keep in mind like this is the entire clay season we talked about scheduling the entire clay season leads up to the French so for me, this is also who should be the favorite in Paris. Yeah, and absolutely. when it comes to best, that, in a best of five setting, when there's exactly. no Nadal, like you have to root, you have to say, okay, Djokovic is the favorite. He's the guy right now. Exactly. My thing is, is if we're going off of the body of work that he's put up this year, like I, I pretty clearly have to go with Alcaraz at one. Yeah, that's fair. Well, I'm, I'm assuming. Have you put Novak at two? Yeah, I was actually kind of close to moving him down a little bit, but just out of the respect for what he's done in the past, I can't I can't move him. So, too. I also think when you look at I mean also just Novak in general when he plays slams, I don't know if you've he's ever seen peaking. this. Have yeah. you ever seen this? First of all, yes, he always peaks. But have you ever seen the towel move? It's it's saying notoriously that when my when my coach and I watch his matches, when we have downtime, we'll watch his matches. For example, last year's final even, or sorry, two years ago final, the one where he beat Sitsipas, 
Mm. He sat down and like he went down two sets, sat down in his chair, put a towel over his head, came out and absolutely dominated the last three sets. I don't know what happens. I don't know if like there's an on switch under that towel, but like something happens to Novak at slams that just it's an undeniable force. Yeah. I mean, certainly he has that ability to just pull his best tennis out from within himself whenever he needs it most. So, yeah, he he's the favorite going into Roland Garros. I don't know. He's just he's Novak Djokovic, really good at tennis. Newsflash. <laughs> but at number three, as we've established, those two are our top two. Medvedev. Medvedev. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it cannot be denied <laughs> How well he played this last week yeah, in Rome. Really, really high level he was from him, actually. Insane. And yeah. we know that it's been a struggle. We know that it's been a journey for him to find his footing on clay and how he is going to play and how he's going to strategize on the clay. And he's done a great job, honestly. Yeah. If he's honestly, if he's physically fresh this tournament, he actually just has a really, really good shot of going deep because of the fact that his physicality is just so far and above everyone else on tour right now. Obviously, a healthy Novak and Alcaraz are up there with him, but Medvedev just has the ability to outlast everyone, whether that's within a rally, within the course of a match. So I really like Medvedev's chances. I just think he's playing really, really well, to be honest. Like, There's not really much else for me to say. Who do you have at your number four? Ray? I have Sissy Pass. I have Holger Runa. For me, I will say Holger Runa is my is at my five. But what I valued more is exactly why you put Alcaraz over Djokovic. Recent results: quarterfinal well, in well quarterfinal in Madrid, semifinal in Rome. I value that higher than. Runa breaking through in Rome to the final. But he also reached the final in Monte Carlo, and he also won a title. Fair. But to me... It's tight. It's a tight five. It's a really, really tight race. I just think Runa's level has just impressed me more than Tsitsipas's level has. But I also... I trust Tsitsipas more physically in best of five setting. Although... With all that said, Runa did beat Tsitsipas in, at the French Open last year, so you know, take. We all will of this get to salt. that. We will. We will get there. Um, yeah. You know, obviously, when we talk about the French, huge thing is talking about stamina and how long they can last in a best of five situation. Yeah. Realistically, so for me, I the just, the, I have... the third round loss to Davidovich Fakina in Madrid did not do Runa any wonders. Yeah, but. Um, my honorable mentions, um, I have Yannick Sinner, who I would just love to see do well again, because he was such, on such such a hot streak at the beginning of this clay season. I would love to see um, yeah, that return. His momentum slowed down a little bit, but but the other could, one that I still put, make a run. I mentioned that um, that Jung was my dark horse on the women's side. On the men's side, I've gone for Borna Chorich. Um his, you can't put him in the top five. That's ridiculous. oh no 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 no. He's not in the top five. He's an honorable okay, mention. Okay. He's an honorable he, mention. I don't even think he should be in the honorable he mention has for made, the top five. Hold but on, okay. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah. Semi semifinal in Madrid, quarterfinal in Rome. Are you you cannot deny the momentum right now? Yeah, absolutely. And in I'm Madrid, and in Madrid, you also like have to keep in mind who he lost to. In Madrid, he lost to Alcaraz. Let's be real. No one was beating Alcaraz at Madrid. Yeah, okay, fair. Like genuinely and also for someone he's coming back to the tour and for him to be on this steady rise up and yeah, to have certain- these two very solid back-to-back results has has to mean something in the terms of a power ranking. When you look at the recent, let's say, three Masters 1000s, he played at two and made quarterfinal and semifinal at them. So yeah, it's, it's certainly it deserves fair, a mention. But and honestly, he I'm is, disappointed that you gave that you didn't give Andre Rublev any love, to be honest. I think that's it. I 
I'm fine I always with do. I always do. And we're about to get to this French Open draw where I will. So, okay. you know. <laughs> Listen, they don't call it the counterpunch for nothing. Take it so. as you will. Okay. They as in we. But Well, with that said, I guess now we kind of have to go right into the French <laughs> Open draw. Let's start out with, I think, the big thing that I've heard so much about over the last few days uh, ever since this draw came out is that Alcaraz and Djokovic are in the same half which means and all of that because there is a there's one step less to getting Alcaraz versus Djokovic compared to Rome (laughs) well yes but I'm also a little disappointed that if they do meet that it won't be in the final of the French Open because it it's felt like they've been the two it best deserves, players, along with Medvedev. It but. deserves to be, but honestly, I think after Rome, we would all just like to see it in general. Yeah, honestly, um, I'm not complaining. Like, just give me the match. Like, I've been waiting a year for this. So, literally more than a year. It's they haven't. But let's also Madrid. mention that. I mean, we said. Novak, uh, well, sorry, you mentioned that I lacked um, a little bit of love for Andre Rublev. Well, Rublev is Novak's um, projected quarter, quarter yeah. um, which is one heck of a diff- difficult quarterfinal. Forget the fact that Alcaraz has Sitsi passes his quarter. Yeah, how um, does Alcaraz have Tsitsipas? I know Tsitsipas is the five seed, so it's mathematically possible. It's you're mathematically trying to tell possible, but realistically... It that should, should not be a quarterfinal, it sh- but it, it just should speaks- be, like, Yannick Sinner, or... Yeah, but, like, even then, like, you're trying to tell me... There's just so much depth in the men's game, to be honest. There like, is. There's just so much depth in the men's game and the women's game. Like, everybody is so good right now. Like, I'm uh, expert analysis from me, but... The top 10 of the ATP and WTA are really good at tennis. Yeah. That's honestly the best analysis that we have given across, seven, accurate, epi- to be across seven episodes of this podcast. Um, but no, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see how everything plays out. I mean, as much as we would love an Alcaraz versus um, Djokovic semifinal, there's so many obstacles in the way on both ends. There's, a, there's some sneaky names in these draws. I'm looking at Alcaraz and I mean his potential third round. You have a sneaky Matteo Arnaldi right there. Yeah. Who lest we not forget what he did to Kasparud. Yeah, he's got some tough guys in in his draw. I would not be surprised if Alcaraz has some early struggles, but I mean Lorenzo Musetti is daunting on clay. Um yeah, you mentioned he has so many solid players in you know his his portion of the draw. Um, I mean, honestly, Sitsipas got such a difficult first round in my opinion. He has Yuri Vash- he has Yuri Vashley, who's always such a strong player. Yeah, um, he's a player, yeah. I look at that top eight. You know, Rublev also actually got a pretty tough player in Las Jera. Go- so I was gonna say that's I'm I'm looking at this top eight and who got difficult matches. For their first round, um, Holger Rune has got a tough one in his first, in my opinion, with Chris Eubanks. Um, do I think Eubanks wins? Unfortunately, no, um, as much as we would love to root for the American. But I still think that that is going to be a much harder fought match than I think people may realize. Fellow Atlanta native Chris Eubanks, but go on. I mean, I'm, I'm just looking at this draw and it's so interesting to watch how things have honestly George versus Medvedev is my hope. I'm looking at that bottom part of the draw and I'd love to see that go down. I would. I mean, I think George is such a fun story to watch, especially, you know, like I mentioned coming back uh, from injury and the things that he that he's done over the last two, three weeks. I would love to see Yannick Sinner make a deep run. I don't know what's going to happen. He has a very difficult potential second round. He's going to get either Daniel Altmaier, who's been on a pretty hot streak, or uh, Mark andrea Hessler, who both are pretty daunting players on the clay. Yeah. Wait, really sorry, know. sorry. I'm scrolling through the draw right now. Did they announce who Medvedev's qualifier is, like his first round opponent? 
Uh, Tiago Saboth Wild. Okay, because I know there was a possibility of him drawing Karatsev again in the first round, so I was that would have been honestly. Yeah. I was just I was just looking out for that, but but let me ask. Um, for starters, do you see any potential first round upsets on either of you know this men's or women's draw? You look at the seeds. Do you see? I mean, there's obviously always going to be a few where you question, you know. They could go out. Uh, Zverev's got a pretty tough first round. Lloyd Harris. Um, yeah, actually. Tiafo yeah, has Lloyd pretty, can make him work for it. Tiafo and George have some pretty tough first rounds. Uh, Philip Krajinovic, Federico Correa. Mm, that's a tough one. Hmm. Let me scroll through this draw really quick. Try and give you Jan a... Jan Leonard Struff has a very difficult one, in my opinion. Le- Ooh, Lahechka? Yuri Lahechka. Sneaky. It's so Lehe- it's so weird to me that Struff is seated at this event, but Lehechka isn't. Honestly, it's going to be so much fun to watch because you look at Struff, and when you look at the way that he played in Madrid when he made that awesome run, um, he, his tactics and the way that he adapted to different situations against Alcaraz was so was so well done. Um, in that second set, the usage of serve and volley to take time away was so well used um as opposed to well, you Lehechka, who's such yeah. a strong ball striker um yeah so I mean, good I don't from know the baseline it's gonna be so much fun to watch yeah absolutely i listen i i don't know if this counts as a, a massive upset pick but like i don't feel very confident about ben shelton playing lorenzo sanego in the first round like i know he's <laughs> seated 30th yes. but like sanego's a better yeah. player than ben is at this stage i think um, not to, I wouldn't be shocked if Ben wins. Absolutely. Another another one that I don't want to say, but I have to just because it's such an interesting first rounder, is Hubi Hercatch versus David Goffin. Yeah, that's a fun one. You're uh, apparently your fellow Syracuse alum and Newhouse brother Gil Gross is on the call for that on TC Plus. I saw that today. Oh, that'd be awesome. That's so very cool. very happy for Gil. Congratulations, sir. But um. Uh, the the first actually round, so, the first round match that first honestly initially stood out to me was Brandon Nakashima versus Denis Shapovalov. Oh. When I when I looked at this draw, that jumped out at oh, me. Oh God! That 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 leaped out at me, and it's been so difficult to watch as someone who loves to watch Shapo. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those matches. Going, yeah, it's one of those matches where you don't feel confident about either guy winning, so you yeah. pick the upset. <laughs> but honestly, let me let me mention this. This is so something that my coach and I have talked about when we watched these guys is that some of these guys they're a lot of fun to watch, but the reason why they go on these streaks is because their game is just not maintainable over a longer period of time. Um well, they win Shapo because the, they win yeah. because they're striking the ball hard, taking risks, and so they need confidence to complete their game. If that makes sense, they take yeah. risks, and that's when they win points. And if you're on like a bit more of a down spiral, then you okay. Let's put it this way: you look at the top guys, you look at Alcaraz, you look at Djokovic, uh, Medvedev, Rublev all of them, Sitsipas, and the list goes on. The reason why they are at the top and they stay at the top is because their game, they don't need to take risks to win. Yeah. They know they know what weapons they have, and they know... If you've ever watched Rafa practice versus Rafa play a match, it's... You can see differences. Well, it's controlled aggression perfectly maintained exactly. throughout the course of a match. Whereas, like... A guy exactly. like Shafo, the the shot per like the shot tolerance isn't there. The like the percentage of the point of the shots that he goes for just isn't very high. Like he's always trying to redirect over the top part of the net, or he's just going for too much and trying to unload on like one shot too Another, early than what yeah. he probably should. Another player that this applies to Karatsev. Yeah, absolutely. Just when he's winning, shots. when he's winning. Confidence through the roof, taking big risks, great shots, like confident, strong, you know, swift ball striking. But when he's off, he's taking risks, but he's not, but there's no confidence. There's no, 
you know, I don't know. It's 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 a weird thing, but he's taking risks and they're not paying off. And that's then when kind of like that downward loop goes. Um, and so that's why it's going to be it's such a difficult one when you try to predict Chapo versus Nakashima. Uh, let it be known to the fans that um, Archid and I will be completing brackets round by round. Um, so each yeah. each round, well, we'll, while, we'll pick while we're looking and, um, while we're looking at upsets in the first round, I don't think this is an upset, but I do want to shout out Arthur Feast for his run. I mean, yeah. he's won the title in Lyon. So. Hey, and he listen of all the seeds that he drew that he could have drawn. Fakina isn't he, a bad matchup. It's like, not a bad matchup. Not not to say Davidovich Fakina isn't a great player, but I would much rather draw Davidovich Fakina over Carlos Alcaraz. So really, really, <laughs> I feel like that's a pretty hot take from you, but okay. But no, it's 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 a good choice. Um, I'm I'm trying to think. There's this one stands out to me as well. Another ba- uh, a battle of Americans. Mackie McDonald uh, draws Sevi Corda. Ooh. Yeah, and Corda's still not at full health. So. Man, I have been waiting for Corda. <laughs> it feels like we've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Um, but there's a lot of there's always some really fun matchups on, you know, in the first round. You never know what it'll draw, and you know we talk about like a lot. A lot sorry, ugh. most of these matches that we've just pointed out are lower seeds. You're talking about twenties. Um, and in the case of Ben Shelton, 30. Um, so it, it's always interesting. And when you look at the women's side, it, it continues over. There's so many, I see Shelby Rogers versus Petra Martich. Honestly, it's, in my opinion, it's hard not to pick that upset. Yeah. Although and, I'm, I'm yeah. actually going to lean Martich. So no, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm also picking yeah, Martich. Yeah, yeah. Um, another first, th- I can't believe this is a first round match. Vika Azarenka draws Bianca Andreescu. R- ridiculous. This, I mean, this what, feels what like they're pranking at? us. Yeah. Like, it doesn't feel fair. The tennis um, gods just don't enjoy, you know that Rafa meme that's like, you don't like the good tennis? That's what, that's what I feel like. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. I also have to say... I think this match will uh, this next match that I that I'm gonna say is also gonna be pretty close and pretty fun to watch, and that's Barbara Krejcikova versus Lesia Serenko. Uh, I think that one could be a lot of fun. Rybakina has a fairly difficult first rounder. Uh, Brenda Fruhitova, just her little section of the draw is not good for her. It isn't. It's tough. For yeah, Hirtova, and then faces the winner of Noskova uh, Kavinich. And then you look at those four women below Clara Burrell, amazing uh, young player, Sarah Saribas Tormo, Petra Martich, Shelby Rogers, all you could say vets of the tour by now. It's, it's a tough little section that she's got right there, honestly. Yeah, certainly. It could definitely be a tough one for her to navigate through. So it'll be interesting to see how she fares with that. Kvitova has also got a very, a pretty difficult first round, in my opinion. Elisa Beta um, Kokiretto, who's been playing f- pretty well. And Anja Burr faces the newly crowned WTA champion. I don't know if I've said that correctly. Um, Lucia Bronzetti, who just won her first tour title um, earlier today. Uh, we yeah. are recording this on Saturday, so uh, thank you. We appreciate. Uh, we'll say it again at the end, but we do appreciate Westhoff's job um, so much, honestly. Um, so you guys are getting this a day after we recorded it. Um, it is very late. Um, Maria, well, starting yeah. off, yeah. Just one thing I actually wanted to point out. Um, shout out to Colette Lewis, of course, for getting the stat, the goat, but. Um, there are now 35 Americans in the main draw at the 
at the French Open. 19 women, 16 men in the main draw. That's the Which is most, a new high, right? Yeah. Yeah, that that's the most since there were 39 in 1995. So, the most of this century, but and it, and honestly, you look at these um Americans I, and they're all for the most part, I mean the the vast majority are pretty young. Yeah, um, exactly. Actually, I was about to mention a pair of Americans that are facing off in the first round. Um, and it's Jesse Pagula draws Danielle Collins. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> the the Just... daughter of Mr. Buffalo versus a UVA <laughs> standout. Honestly, though, genuinely, I think it's going to be a very fun match to watch. Danielle Collins, you never know what she's going to pull out of her bag. And Jesse Pagula yeah. has been such a mainstay in that top five and such a force to be reckoned with over the last you know, year, two years. Um, this is going to be so much fun to watch what they do. Um, I'm For curious sure. where Zhang, I didn't notice uh, who Zhang drew for her first round match. Hmm. Tamara Zidansek, a qual who had to qualify. Not bad. Not bad. Um, it's honestly probably pretty good for her. Um, I mean, you really do want an easier first round, and it's not just because oh, it's an easy match. Because a lot of times players do need to warm up into the tournament. You can only do so much practice, and then you have to get into match head, and that's a totally different mindset. You know, playing practice points versus playing the actual match itself. Yeah, it, no, no, definitely. I feel like it, it's not a bad draw. It's definitely not. But could be better, could be worse, to be honest. So so let me ask, from either men's or women's draw, um, any, who, what would you, who would you say has more of the tougher draws? Ooh. When you look at those projections, I have to start off by saying Iga Sviantek has a very tough draw, in my opinion. Yeah, Iga um, her does projected have a pretty draw, tough one. Um, plays Buxa in the first round, who, great player, should be easy on the easier side for Iga. Iga's played her multiple times before. Um, Claire Liu in the second, Buzkova in the third, Krejcikova in the fourth, someone that we know gives Iga some trouble. Uh, Coco Goff in the quarterfinals, and then back-to-back two ladies again, who have proven to be troublesome for her. Elena Rabakin in the semifinal, Sabalenka in the final. Questions yeah. whether, you know, whoever I just named will make it as far as projected? Obviously, we don't know. For all we know, Coco Goff could lose tomorrow. But on on terms of projected draw, I, I do think she has a fairly difficult draw. And I just think yeah, that, no. that half in general, is so difficult between Rybakina, um, Kudamatova, Krejcikova, Azarenka, Buzkova, Anjabur, Sarana Kristeya, Petra Kvitova, Haddad Maya, all of these, you know, ladies who are... Uh, Helena Kalinda, also in her half of the draw. All these ladies who have been playing so well over the last few weeks and are on such a hot streak just happen to be on that half of the draw. And on when I look at Sabalenka's draw, I see a lot of standouts. But generally what I'm seeing is a lot of players who are great players, but more so hardcourt players. I'm looking at Belinda Bencic. I'm looking at Magdalenette. I'm looking at Elise Mertens. Um, yeah, arguably... No, sorry. Arguably Caroline Garcia. <laughs> she plays great at the French we know in doubles, but the last few weeks have not been that hot. Um she has some she has a few I mean Sablank has a few troublesome people in there. Um she has yeah. uh No, it certainly Jen, could be a tricky one for the Ostapenko. both of them. Yeah. It it definitely could be tricky for the both of them, but I just I don't know. I feel like and that's the thing is that they're both going to need to be at their best throughout this tournament if they're 
going to get to another final against each other, specifically Sviantek, given the fact that, you know, she's had some injury concerns now and she hasn't quite played at the level that she's wanted to so far this season. But that being said, like, we both know we're going to end up picking Sviantek to win the title, right? Oh, yeah. When it, when we get there, I'm not even going to hesitate, honestly. And it comes down to a huge factor on the on the tour not so much at the club level because i don't think club players re- like feel it as much but we talked about it a lot in uh you know when we were in madrid and it's climate the condition of the courts the condition of the air the altitude you know just generally the climate factors are surrounding this is iga's house honestly yeah. Like and and it's got real. kind of a this feel is somewhere to it where that it she knows she can play well. This is somewhere that she knows like the back of her hand, yeah. and I think that it's that's going to factor in so highly. Um, this and it's she got feels kind so of a feel here. to it. Yeah, it's got kind of a feel to it that we had for so long with Rafa at Roland Garros, where it was just like if he's healthy and he's in the draw until proven otherwise, we're going to pick him to win. And so, until proven otherwise, I'm going to pick Triantec to win. Now, if she loses, different story, right? So, But that's also why I'm so wary of Krejcikova in that draw. Because yeah, former champion at this event, just... I yeah. said I said Iga won two of the last three. That other one is Krejcikova. Yeah. So, always a player to look out for. She also knows her way around these courts and how to play and, you know, maximize what she can get out of this climate and this atmosphere and... She knows what she's doing here. It's going to be so interesting to see how things go down. We only have, I want to say, correct me if I'm wrong, we only have three former French Open champions in this draw. In the women's draw? We in only the women's have, draw. Yeah. Iga Sviantek, Krejcikova, Yelena Ostapenko. <laughs> yeah. Weird three names to get together, but yeah. The, la- I think the that's last it. one is, the last one's real weird. Um... Yeah. Vika reached the final, didn't she? Vika has never won this tournament. Yeah, but she ended up reaching the final, I think, in 2020. Does Vika have anything besides her? Does she has does she have just two Australian opens? You feel like uh, she has a new a US because she's made the final there about four yeah, times. She's done, she's done well everywhere, but I don't think she's ever won the French, so. I don't think she's won anything besides the Australian, uh, but she's no, made far in the yeah. rest. Yeah. No Simona Halep in the draw. No. We don't yeah. have to go there. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, we don't have to go there. A topic for another <laughs> podcast. Sorry, everyone. But let's uh, be real. We'll get there. Um, but uh, sorry, I'm just rolling said, through the. I'm throw, I'm rolling through the list of former champions, but yeah. Muguruza's not playing. Yeah. Sharapova obviously retired. Uh, like you mentioned, Simona Halep isn't playing him. No, Serena. So, yeah, that's about it. And as compared to the men's side, where, let's be real... We have <laughs> one former champion. I will. I mean, the thing is, as opposed to just generally the oh, fact wait, no. that... Is Vavrinka playing? Yeah, we have two stands in the draw. I completely forgot. Great, we've got two. <laughs> but what's really interesting about it is when you look at the men's draw... Um, it's hard to point out because we've only, there's only what over the last God knows how many years, Roger, Rafa, Novak, Stan. And I think did someone else sneak in there once? Uh, Roger, Am I crazy? Roger, Novak. Stan. Roger was oh nine. Yeah. Rafa has won it. God knows how many times Novak has three. Yeah. I think Stan has two. No, Novak, Novak has two. Stan has one. Stan won 15. And then Novak won uh, sixteen and twenty-one. Yep, I think that I think that's it. No, yeah, you're right. So I mean, we have four people to choose from. We're not spoiled for choice. Roger retired. Rafa's not playing. Yeah, Andy's we, reached we, a final. We have, but he's never. We won. have the two that we could have gotten. Whereas Listen, opposed to the, whereas opposed to the women. Yeah. Listen, they, we finally you, got. A somewhat open French Open draw, and Nadal's not in the draw, and Djokovic looks somewhat compromised with the elbow. Man, can you just imagine what we'd be saying if Dominic team was fully healthy? But let's but let's look at genuinely. Let's look at the women's champions over the last 
for the same okay that same span of time Iga Krejcikova Ash Barty who's no longer retired yeah Simona Halep will well Ostapenko won in 19 Ostapenko won in 17 no she won in 19 Ash Barty won in 19 oh you're right you're right Ostapenko beat Simona Halep in 17 yeah yeah you're right and then 16 Muguruza 15 uh, Serena then Sharapova Serena again Sharapova Lena, I'm gonna. I'm saving that name for a conversation we will have on this podcast later. Uh, Franche- Wait, Fran- Slo- Sloan Stevens has a has a finalist appearance. Has a finalist appearance. Yeah. She lost to Simona Halep in 18. Yeah. Um, Kuznetsova and Ivanovic, and then you get into really, really like names that we haven't heard in a while. Yeah, and you no, have to. I, th- I think and we're you good. have to be a real tennis yeah. buff to know, you know, some of those names. Um, so we, I mean, there's so much more variety in winners. I mean, since 2010, only three women have won it twice. No one's won it more than twice. Serena has two, Sharapova has two, Iga has two. There's so much more variety and there were so many more options that we could have had. But honestly, we got all the champions that we could, which feels really weird because you look at that women's side and there's so much more variety um, yeah. in the past champions. With that said, who do you say is going to etch their name into that trophy this year? We'll start the with the easy one. Start with the easy one. Start with the women. Three, we'll two. both go Ego. 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 Yeah. We know what she can do here. And I yeah. and I would like to say I think she will be the first person to win three since 2010. Probably yeah. even far. No, sorry. Uh, yeah, no. I think I think Justina Nunn won three in a row. Yeah, she did. Whoop. Yeah, dang. Uh, on the men's side, I like. Who do, you, the, who do you got? I like that this is now where we have questions. I'd like to mention this as I as I slightly stall. I'd like to mention how nice <laughs> it is. You're that afraid of your no, pick, huh? Because here's the thing: on the women's side, we very easily just said Iga, and we did the same thing last year. With the men's side, it has always just been Rafa, Rafa, Rafa. On the women's side, pre this like confidence in Iga, when you look back to say 2015. There was a slew in 2016-17. There was a slew of names that you could rile off, and they and none of them were incorrect answers. From Sharapova to Serena to Muguruza to Simona Halep, so many names that you could rile off that you know you'd still be correct. Um, I am going to say, I'll I'll do it, Carlos. I dang, I was gonna go with Carlos. I thought you were gonna go with Novak. Um. It's tough, but honestly, like j- we just mentioned, going off of form, we mentioned this I, I really before. Think Carlos has shown us more on clay this year. Yeah, I just going off of form, but and we know what Novak can do. Yeah, but also like Alcaraz. Alcaraz I honestly think that Alcaraz going if they do play each other in that semifinal, I do feel like that's the de facto final. But also, I do feel like Alcaraz going into that having already beaten Djokovic before is such an edge for him mentally. He hasn't done it in best of five. I know that he hasn't done that, but he's also won a major before, and that also just mentally helps him. Like guys like Tsitsipas and Medvedev, the first couple of times where they played Novak in. These finals. They weren't major champions. They were trying to clear the hurdle. Alcaraz has done that. Alcaraz has beaten Novak on clay before. He's done then everything l- this year. He's world number one right now. Then let me just- ask, before we wrap, is there any world right now where you pick Rude or Rune or Pass or Medvedev? Runa, Pass, and Medvedev are a... If Djokovic and Alcaraz take the legs out from each other, or they one of them loses early and the other one just has to beat one of them, then yeah, I think I could, I could see that. If happening. Alcaraz and Djokovic go, and Djokovic go to the semifinals and they play a long five setter, then I can see it. Yeah, exactly. Like if they go yeah. six hours and then a fresh Medvedev is in the final waiting for them, maybe. I still think their level is far and above everyone else. 
I don't know. I pro- it'd be interesting, but I think I think one of them could do it. But to me, they're secondary tier contenders. Like I think your top two are Djokovic and Alcaraz, and then there's like a little layer between that's like Medvedev, Runa, Sitsipas. Yeah, one point five. And then you have one more that's like Rude, Rublev, Sinner. So we'll see. It'll be interesting. But those are our picks. We'll have a detailed score prediction <laughs> bracket completely updated for you guys. We'll put it out on social media. You guys can have fun ripping us for our predictions, but we don't mind. We love to put them out there. So, Oh, boy. You're already putting it out there. All right. With that said, uh, that is all the time we have for this week. A bit of a longer episode, um, as always. Uh, follow oh, us just, on our yeah. on our socials at Richard three at Suresh Archit, and follow everything that we do over here at Cracked Rackets. We have some really awesome things coming up. Um, thank you for all of your support throughout the last few weeks with NCAA's and all of you guys tuning in. Um, we sure had a lot of fun covering it and we hope you guys enjoyed all of our coverage um, from all ends. Uh, major shout out and respect for Groskin. Yeah. The, the guy's an, an animal. But I, oh, one more thing that I wanted to shout out. Please keep sending us those mailbag questions. We've already gotten some and we've gotten some more and, you know, we were really thrilled to be able to receive those. We will do a full monthly mailbag um selection show after the french open here but other than that just be sure to tune into our social medias at cracked rackets check out the cracked rackets doc check out www.crackedrackets.com for any social for any updates regarding articles or you can find all podcasts on there anyways tune into all our broadcasts other than that a huge thank you to our super producer daniel westoff for the editing job he does day in day out here at cracked rackets but other than that, that's it for me and Richard. Anything else? And with all that said, we'll catch you guys next time on the Counterpunch. Goodbye. Goodbye.